0: My name is Curtis Wilson.
1: I'm Brian Siegler, buddy. We're back on a Tuesday. It's West Virginia hate week. Hate. Let's get hate. going, man. Hate.
0: hate week, part one of the season, West Virginia week, man. And man, we got a lot to uncover tonight, but God, it's it the, in, in two nights. It's Thursday night in Lane Stadium, Thursday night. Thursday the, night. The place where Thursday night football originated and people knew it could be something big, and I think it's the 26th anniversary, something like that this year, um, of actually playing West Virginia on the Thursday night. I know we're at, like 20, we're at year 22 from one of the nastiest games ever in the series when Andre Davis went the fuck off for three touchdowns and Way Ward killed a kid on that punt return and still and probably every single person watching tonight or listening has seen that play. But if you're a new Hokie fan or a young Hokie fan, go to stop, press pause or step away from the live stream, go to YouTube, type in Wayne Ward, Virginia tech and let it do the search.
1: Nothing but fire. Buddy, you doing good tonight? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. It was a uh it's been a good week so far. Uh been 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 got, got some work done today. Got to uh do a little segment on uh on AWOD radio today with Adam Epstein.
0: Radio 910 here in the RVA, the best sports programming in the RVA. If you didn't catch my man Siegla out here at two p.m. Can check in for a quick hit there. It was awesome. Second hit there, right? Uh, I went. I went third. I, I, uh, oh, third. I was. Uh, I was. I was cleaning
1: everything up there. We had the. I think the JMU uh, beat writer was on there first, and then we had um, the uh, the two four seven writer for UVA um, was was in the middle slot there. So yeah, I kind of I kind of fin- finished things off there for that segment.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Well, y'all, like we've said at the beginning, this is West Virginia. It is hate week. But before we get into Know the Enemy of West Virginia, we've got to recap what happened last weekend. A lot of things went on before and during that game. The Hokies take a win over Wofford, 27-7. to Hokies go to 2-1. and one. Slightly off our prediction, slightly off. We're about 20 points short on each side. Um, but nonetheless, a win is a win in this situation, and – before we get into the actual game itself, let's talk about the injuries in game and before the game. Um, you know, you had three key starters not even playing, and Keyshawn King, Colin Garbutt, and Josh Fuga. And Brian, when when you saw and didn't see, or when you heard saw that those guys weren't playing, did it did it hurt your gut, or was it more of a we can win without them today?
1: Yeah, and I mean, I know we had alluded to it a little bit uh, last week when we were doing the uh, the preview episode. I was gonna be fine if King and Caleb Smith both sat this one out. Um, we need them more this week than we needed them against um, against Wofford. Obviously, Caleb Smith played, got a little banged up on a deep ball, um, kind of late in that second quarter. Um, but we had Keyshawn King out, we had Taiwan Garbett out, Josh Fuga sat. Um, I'm okay with that. Like I said, that that's that's a, a setup where you're going to need those guys for this stretch we've got coming up. So not just West Virginia, but the entire October stretch, which is probably the most difficult section of this schedule this year. Having those guys as fresh as we can have them for that for that push, I think is going to be more important than whatever they could have given us against Wofford. So. Good move by the coaching staff, and uh, and unfortunately, as I said, Smith got banged up uh, mid-game. Seems to be all right, has has been practicing so far this week. Uh, Same story with Silas. uh, Zancy went down, um, but apparently could have went back in, but precautionary just kept him out. Again, it was Wofford. Game was in hand. No no need to push it.
0: Anyone that got nicked mid-game with where that score was when it was basically – they weren't able to do anything offensively other than get a little first down and then essentially either get a sack or tackle for loss. Nobody was going back in the game. As far as King, Garbert, and Fuga go, you, you you already hit the nail on the head. You don't play them this game. Now, could that score have been potentially uglier with King in the game? Yeah. yeah. And does the offense maybe need confidence? Maybe, yeah. But on the other hand, Keyshawn King is the game-breaker on that offense so far. He and Caleb Smith, and like you said, even without – you would have been found with Caleb not playing, which I think would have still resulted in a Hokies win. Caleb gets slightly nicked and they immediately pull him. Is it one of those he could have went back in? Probably. But it's one of those weeks, too, where if you're hearing about these guys' injuries, and if West Virginia was last Saturday, I think every single one of them would have been on the field. I think Caleb would have came back. I think Silas would have came back. I think it's showing roster management that sometimes a little nick, you don't need a guy to go back in. Game's in hand. Let's move on.
1: Yeah, it, with Caleb, it seems like it's like a rib issue, which those things can linger. We know that. Um, That's pain tolerance, know, though, right? Lay, lay, laying out for that that uh, that that uh, deep ball, I think, is what yeah. kind of probably you know triggered that for him. And um, it's pain tolerance, but at the same time, if it's one of those lingering things, and and you feel like you can take care of things without him, sit him down. Um, you know, he came out. He went back. Uh, and when he came out in the second half, he wasn't wearing any any pads. He was just in the jersey. So yep. um, he, he knew his day was over. We At that point, we, we were handling them. It, it very much seemed like uh, unless something drastically changed in the, in the trajectory of the game, th- that was going to be in hand at halftime. You know, we came out, didn't play as, as well in the second half as I was hoping, but, you know, again,
0: as you said, a win is a win. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's kind of take a quick high level overview of some things you wanted to see last week, Brian. I think we did see a few of these things. The first is you said you wanted to get away from the predictable play calls, the predictable run play calls early in drives. And I think from what I saw watching the game again and in, we saw a lot more passes, a lot more quick plays on first down and the ball in the air versus running the ball.
1: Yeah, they definitely were hitting, um, more of those passes in early downs um, that i think that helped get the offense in a little bit more rhythm uh we still didn't finish as many drives as i would have wanted to against that defense and i think that's still you know that's where we're still a work in progress with the with finishing drives and closing out drives we had the you know the miss block on the on the fourth and one on the first drive after you had some some productive um plays before that that got us in a pretty good position there to get some points you know, then you had a couple others where, you know, one thing here, one thing there killed killed a drive when you crossed the 50. So, I mean, there were still some points left on the field there that I feel like oh yeah, if we can clean some things up, you know, th- that's going to be a, a little bit better looking number than I think we ended up with on Saturday.
0: Yeah, probably somewhere between seven and 10 more points, probably somewhere closer to 40 like we thought it'd be. But that, that fourth and short play early, A, it's off-and-off off tackle play. And I told you, like, if, if you're going to put Jalen Holston in there, I absolutely hate that play call for him. He does not have that sort of quick kick to get there if the play isn't blocked perfectly. And, like, I like you have been telling me so many times, if certain plays aren't blocked perfectly, you will lose. In that case, it wasn't. In that case, we lost. And, you know, Brent Pry, who right there seemed very aggressive, similar to the BC game. Um, It did not pay off. Now, comes back later, we have a fourth and short. He tends to go a little more passive. And I think something me and you've talked about a couple times, not only on here, but just in passing conversation, it it seems like Brent Ply is, he looks at the data and the statistical points of what you should and shouldn't do, but then he essentially plays it by gut. Because there are times where you're like, oh, he's going to go for it here he kicks the field goal. There are times like, take the points, he goes for it. So it's like, to me, it's a, he's kind of finding his rhythm as a head coach of when to go, when, when to push, and when not to push. And right now, it's kind of been a healthy balance thus far in the season.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't call him aggressive. You wouldn't call him passive. It's definitely situational, and I think it's relative to game flow. I think it's relative to where we are on the scoreboard. Um, I think that's the big thing that, that we're looking at. Um, at this point, is that he is – aggressive I feel like when he needs to be or when he feels like it's to his advantage uh, and then plays it more statistical uh, when it's something that you know could be advantageous to punt keep us keep the field position Um, when when the game's a little tighter when things are a little still in the balance so uh, I I like the mix there Um, so far most of the times that he's rolled the dice I would have rolled the dice and most of the times when he's punted I would have punted so I don't have any big problems uh, with what I've seen on that front I probably would have went um, I, I probably would have been a little more aggressive um, not not necessarily this Saturday but overall than he's been so far but again that's why he's got the money and I don't um, <laughs> our armchair I can, I can be a lot more aggressive than he can because so he's, he's the one that's got to go to the podium and answer for it
0: Absolutely. Um, now, the other thing, I want to get your take on this from you know playing at a collegiate level. Do you feel like that we played down Saturday or did it feel more like a controlled, we're going to win this game, there's no need to press, there's no need to go outrageous, they aren't as good as us? Because I, I want to get your take on that.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing for um, for that is that I wouldn't say we played down to the competition. I think that there were times where we were not as effective as we want to be. Some some execution wasn't there, and that took points off the board. I mean, I you know, when you say play down, I don't think there was one of those things where we got pushed around where we looked like it wasn't a Richmond game, um, if we want to put it that way, from a couple years back. You know, we, we didn't we didn't feel like we were almost outmatched or evenly matched in that game. We definitely could do the things that we wanted to do. We just didn't always execute as crisply as we could or should have against
0: the level of opponents. Absolutely. Well, I, that's kind of what I wanted to hear. That's that kind of was my fault. It never felt like down. It never felt like the last couple years where there were teams you fairly felt better than. And you felt nervous getting into the quarter. You felt like from jump street, we moved the ball, we, we got aggressive, we didn't take the points. The next time we took the points, they the defense had everything under control. So yeah. All right. Let's take a look at the offense, just kind of chit chat about a few things here and there, and then we'll look at defense. Yeah. Hey, before the we before walkers. we
1: jump in there, we got a little little question
0: here from Clark. All right, what's your favorite piece of memorabilia and your case behind y'all? All right, so mine is not even hung up at the moment. I have, oh shoot, I, I rearranged the room last week, Clark. I have a lithograph, um, hand-drawn copy of Lane Stadium in the Snow. Um, I, Clark, uh, hit me up on Twitter. I can tell you exactly who did it. It was someone that lives down in the uh, Southwest Virginia area, um, gave it to a friend of mine. And um, that friend gave it to me at my birthday present this year. So soon I'm hoping right about there where you see the golf club and the guitar, right above the VT blankie, that's where I'm going to try to get it. I've got to find the frame because it's an awkward frame. What about you, C? Uh, Probably
1: my favorite is going to be the uh, the, the pendant, the shield right behind me here in the corner. It's a little dark. You can't see it, but it's just uh, actually, sorry, over here. (laughs) <laughs> right here. Yes. It's uh yeah, that that, that there is signed by Daryl Tapp himself. So that's probably the uh the, the one that I covet the most. Uh Daryl Tapp, one of my favorite all-time hokies, probably easily in the top three for me. And uh got that uh I'm trying to remember when it was. I'm trying to remember what game it was. I, uh, it was spring game, I wanna say two thousand
0: and four. Four, okay okay so while oh while we were young kids while we were kids yeah okay. yeah you got yeah, it. yeah oh man that's that awesome. one that one goes way back that one goes way back way back um, absolutely I, I hope to have this hung up soon I, i've also got here on my left i've had a couple times you see it i've got the the map of virginia in a woodcast with all the counties outlined and the vt right in the middle of it that's that's probably number two favorite as well as my plethora of Hokie Game Cups. Um so yeah, we have got quite a few things. And actually I'm looking over here. I've got both of the uh I've got both of the uh the beer mugs out from Hardy <laughs> sitting out now. So it's pretty, pretty sweet. All, all righty. All right, so let's now flip it. Awesome question, Clark. We appreciate that. We appreciate all you guys out there in the chat. We see you tonight. Low country Brian Cox Clark. Robbie, Matt, appreciate you guys uh, listening and watching tonight. But let's talk about the offense, Brian. Something you said last week we needed to happen is we needed to see something go on with the wide receiver room. And, man, did we see it from two guys this week.
1: Yeah, Jaden Blue and Christian Moss, big, big days for the Hokies. Um, Blue getting in the end zone, making a couple NFL caliber uh, catches. Uh, especially that one kind of down the seam between two defenders, Absolutely. Um, elevating, making the catch, bringing it down, moving the chains there. Uh, and Moss, a lot of stick-moving routes, a lot of possession-type type things early on in the game um, to get him going. He was really probably the standout player in the first quarter when we were kind of a little un- un- unsteady as we kind of got our footing um, you know, heading into the second quarter there. Absolutely.
0: And, and for Blue, it it, it it couldn't happen to a better individual of everything he's went through, to not only have a good game, but to catch a touchdown pass and to just feel like kind of the weight because we've been hearing he's been nicked and that he's been trying to come. We've seen him play, but we haven't seen it develop on the field, clearly developing on the field last Saturday. And then Christian Moss, we'd heard his name several times in the fall camp. And was it one of those – was it just noise that – coaches are trying to talk somebody up and get somebody moving in this game we saw it and he had the one miss though the one miss on the comeback which was if he catches the ball the guy fell down behind him he's probably dead to rights in the end zone so I'm sure they're probably going to be working on some comeback drills this week like secure the ball first (laughs) secure the ball first um somebody else what about Gallo getting back to game one type production I mean he did very little against BC. And I mean, to say we win that game with him doing a little production is kind of unbelievable. And now getting him back in, in it's pretty awesome.
1: And yeah, we kind of talked about it last week where um, it seemed like BC was big time keying on those short flat routes to the tight ends. Um, we, we had it heavy in the rotation against ODU. They were jumping them pretty quick. Uh, I think, just with some of the different personnel we had, some different play caller, different play calls this week that got a little bit more spacing in that kind of second level of the defense. I think that helped Gallo get get open on a more regular basis, and I think that'll that'll bode well. We'll see. We'll see if we can keep
0: that up against West Virginia this week. And then the return of Jalen Jones, man. I mean, only one catch, but that was a pretty sweet catch he made. And looks like he's starting to get his groove. I know it was later in the game, but, again, just getting him on the field, getting those reps, obviously ran more than just the one route he caught. But the wide receiver room with, you know, Caleb, with Gosnell, you know, with Lofton, and now with Blue and Moss sort of making an impact, It's it, the depth is slowly building. It's taken three games to get more than three deep, and I'm missing somebody there. Because Brian had the – no, no, that was the six we talked about, right? We talked about in the – that was the six we talked about earlier in the season. So getting that there is really good. And I know Gosnell's becoming a steady Eddie. Gosnell's catching like three or four passes a game. I think he's he's went one, two, three. But every time it's like a big first down catch. And it's moving the ball down the field, which is really key.
1: Yeah, and when we got the depth chart this week for the West Virginia game, we were looking at it and we were like, okay, well – this depth chart for the wide receivers finally looks like what we thought it was going to look like in fall camp, right? We got, uh, you got blue and Smith on the outside. You got Lofton in the slot and then backing them up. You've got now, um, you know, Moss and Jones outside with, with Gosnell in the slot. It's kind of what we thought this was going to look like from jump street and, and, you know, heading into a big game like West Virginia, that's kind of, you know, a good, a good comfort note to, to kind of feel like, you know, the wide receiver room is finally starting to, starting to take some shape here and you know, talking about Jalen Jones. Yeah. He got the catch. Um, what, what impressed me was, uh, that, that yak, that the, the, yards after the catch and, uh, and how he runs with the ball in his hand. Um, he kind of runs with purpose. It reminds me a lot of, and I, this is not a comparison in terms of ability, but this is a comparison in terms of what it reminded me of just see him on the field Anquan Bolden Quan Bolden. Okay. After catch. Okay. He, like, like, angry running possessed. from a wide receiver. Yeah. Possessed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, don't get in the man's way. You are going to feel it. So, yeah, again, that room is slowly developing, and, you know, you wish it was quicker, but, you know, hopefully better now than never. And now talking about never, let's talk about the OL, because we still saw some struggles there. First question I want to ask before we get into your grades and doghouse and a couple other things. When you saw when 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 Moore went down early and you saw shit come in, did that shock you? And then when Silas went down and he came back out, give me some stuff on Bob Shick because I mean I think there me and you are expecting okay, here's your chance to put the other Moore brother in or potentially Chaplin.
1: Yeah, it was interesting seeing Bob Shick out there. Um but I think we're probably at a point where when we look at the, the other players that, that could go in, I wonder if Moore and Chaplin are deep enough in the playbook or comfortable enough with the playbook where Rudolph feels like he can lean on them in extended periods. Okay. Or, or, or periods where we're not, you know, game, game isn't fully in hand um that's my that's my thought at this point as far as why they didn't get in but he talked about it a little bit too is that that unit's still trying to gel um when you're trying to gel you probably lean on the guy that's had the more work the more experience shit got in there held up pretty good i've got no real major notes on 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 how he did there um i think it was a solid outing for him um nothing super impressive but you know, sometimes all, all an offensive lineman has to do is, is be anonymous, and, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, if and, you don't and, know And Schick, these... and Schick unless, unless you were looking for him, Schick was mostly anonymous. So that's that's about as good as he could do, I think, in that that type of sub-end
0: role for, for his first big game. That might be the best. That, that's the quote of the day right there. <laughs> if you're an offensive lineman, remain anonymous. And it's a 1,000% correct. Because if you don't know the name, essentially nobody's getting hit and nothing's getting blown up. And sometimes that's all you need to win football games, right? I mean, yeah. and you kind of mentioned it, and what Brian was alluding to was Coach Price comment after the game of somebody asked him, it might have been Andy Bitter, like, you know, why didn't the younger guys play? And he's like, you know, Joe Rudolph's big, big thing is getting this first unit to gel together, and it's not happened yet. And nope. the, the, the question is, let me ask you this. is Does it come a point in time where if they aren't gelling Rudolph makes a move where it's like, okay, I've gotta figure out why we're not gelling and I've gotta move someone out.
1: Yeah, I think he's gonna get to that point. I, I don't think he wants to. I think he he knows that in terms of ability, these are his best five at the positions that they're playing. But at some point if it's not working, you gotta you gotta do some mix and match. And I don't think we're at that point yet. But Okay. You know, I think we're, we're getting to a point where if we don't see some progress the next couple weeks, um, then that's going to be probably where he starts making some moves. Um, but I mean, the grade for this week is honestly a D. Um, communication is still a big problem for this unit. Um, I don't think they necessarily impose their will against a team that has subpar talent. And and some of that was because of missed assignments, miscommunication with assignments, uh, miscommunication with blitz pickups. Um, You know, on that fourth down, I don't know whose responsibility was because I don't have the play call. But it looked to me like Silas and and Jesse blocked the same defender, and there and there wasn't that. That's not a situation where they're working to the next level. you know, th- those are going to be cutoff blocks. Uh, it's it's a backside play. There, there's not going to be anything too intricate there. Um, they should be blocking the same down lineman uh, and letting one go completely free into the backfield. Um, the only other option there is maybe that was Drake's guy, but Drake had a cutoff on a guy that was the, the outside linebacker. So it, it looked like that was probably some sort of miscommunication on the offensive line part there. Uh, and, and we saw that a lot throughout the game. There was there was some sometimes stuff on the inside where a guy should have been working to the next level and kind of just hung around on a combo block. Um, these are things that take plays that could be you know five to six yard gainers, eight yard gainers, and turn them into one or two. And that's the big problem we've had is that still on those early downs we're not productive enough where we're giving the offense a chance to be in those. Second and manageable, and third and short situations consistently enough, even
0: against a subpark opponent like Wofford. All right, and Brian, I think we probably can all guess who's in the doghouse this week. But go ahead, tell us who's in the doghouse this week. Uh,
1: we're we're put, putting Parker Clements in the in the doghouse this week. Um, not a good day overall, run blocking and pass blocking. Um, I, I was looking at PFF grades. <laughs> Uh, somehow Grant Wells has a higher PFF grade in pass pro than Parker Clements.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Oh man. Not good. Not great, Bob. <laughs> Not great at all. All right. Well, let's move off the offensive line and, you know, hopefully that is improved this week. Cause I think it has to be, and let's talk about quarterback play in general. And let's talk about, you know, Grant Wells, obviously, Definitely his best game as a Hokie. Maybe one of his better games as a college quarterback. You know, over 300, 314 in the air, 74% completion percentage, two touchdowns, no picks. And kind of looking you, – you text – what did you text me about what you saw him doing? Um, shit.
1: He was going through his progressions yeah. a lot
0: better. That's it. Know. Sorry. We, 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 yeah, Brain fart. It,
1: You're good. Yeah, yeah. He was going through progressions a lot better this week. Um, And, and again, some of that can be chalked up to a step down in competition level. But it still was his most consistent day by far. Um, I'll take 74% completion all day. Every day. um, Especially since there's only, you know, a couple out there that were truly badly thrown balls by him. Yeah. Um and, and only one really ball that was kind of put in harm's way the whole whole day. So, and that uh, was early couch- with that
0: that cover two ball. He kind of tried to fit, and I don't think it was caught, but it was. It was one of those. You go, oh no, uh, okay. Yep,
1: yep. He he left it a little bit lower than you wanted to. A little <laughs> bit lower. Maybe maybe put a little bit more air on it. Get it get a little bit closer to the sideline. Yep. A l- little bit deeper. Yep, yep. Um, so it was close, but that was the really only close call all day. And I think he took care of the football well. Um and he saw the field a little bit better. Um he still occasionally will stare down his primary route kind of out the gate of the snap, and that's something that I think he needs to work on. Um but you know, I I give him a solid B+ plus on the day. Um and not not a whole lot of 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 big critiques for him. I know a couple couple folks were killing him on the timeline, but, I mean, these are things that we're going to have to kind of massage as we go go throughout the year.
0: You have to live with it. It's what it is. You have to live with what he is. And, I mean, I know Jason Brown did get some run near the end of the game, which to me is good, getting the backup quarterback involved just in live game action where he has reps. He made a few throws it's good to have on tape. It's good to talk to. So I was very glad to see that. Now, one room that, you know, I don't know if you put this on the offensive line, but the running back room did not have a a good day, 3.3 yards of carry. We didn't have King, which me and you've already alluded to. That's fine. Um, You know, Jalen Holston had an okay day chance. Black, probably, probably maybe the worst he's looked this year. Um, Maybe trying to maybe he was one of the guys that was trying to press to impress press, press to impress um, the coaching staff. And you know, but lo and behold, we, we think it's man, this is what our running back room is. You know, Bryce Duke comes out in the second half. And I know by that time game was in hand, we had worn them down a little bit, but you what was your take on Bryce Duke's day, Brian?
1: I mean, I think he had a good day. We showed some solid uh, vision, good burst in the hole. Um, my thing was that he ran through contact to finish the run. That, that That's a big thing for me. Um, so he showed that, and then obviously he showed his ability in the passing game with that wheel route that he took for a touchdown. Uh, Wells put it right, right in the basket there and, uh, you know, made a big catch. You know, not quite full extension, but, you know, had had his arms out cradled it in there took it to the house i I like that um when we look at king being out we knew that there was going to be probably be some sort of step back in terms of production level from this room on the day um and and we got that and i think you know holston at this point i mean i i know he's been banged up but more or less he is what he is and and He's a guy that's going to be able to get you some, some hard running yards, um, but he's not going to break a bunch of big plays. Um, he's just not that type of back. And I think I think you were right when you talked about Chance Black pressing a little bit. I think there were times where, you know, a little bit more patience maybe would have paid off for him. Um, but I think he was trying to, one of those were hit the home run too early in the in the snap. And he ended up, blocks didn't develop things weren't there and now now you're you know, getting a one or two yard gain instead of you know what could potentially been a modest but but solid gain
0: when you're trying yeah. to hit the hole hard and, and and break to the second level too quick absolutely the one thing about Duke, too, i know you talked about running through contact obviously showing his hands is when he saw it he went when he saw the lane he went there was and, and that, I know you talk about the vision. You've got to have good vision. But even there are some guys that have really good vision that essentially tend to wait. And they're trying to make the perfect hole happen. In his case, I know one was like a five-yard run. And it was like going to the left side of the line. And he saw it and just cut it in and got four. And like you said, he ran yep. through the contact. To me, that decision-making. like To me as a running back, having the great vision. But guys who decide to say, I'm cutting it right here. I'm going to hit the hole. And I go back and I think with the Jalen Holston run, we pointed out at BC where that left side of the line had it sealed and he was kind of waiting there. The linebackers coming in the hole meet him because yep. if he doesn't tackle you and you get through him. There's a lot of green air in front of you. And it's that decision-making saying, I've got to go now. And again, when you see a guy have it, that, that kind of gets you pumped up. All right, let's flip over to defense for a couple minutes here. Um, And let's just talk about it. I mean, they held Wofford under 200 yards, but it seemed very unspectacular. It wasn't like, you know, massive amount of sacks. We had a significant amount of of, of tackle for losses. Um, But I think something we noticed is we saw a very heavy rotation of a lot of different players throughout the game, not just at the end when it was primary, just younger guys all throughout the game. I mean, there were times where Keyshawn Artis played like three series in a row and we didn't see Dax at all.
1: Yeah, there were long periods of the the second line being in the game um, throughout throughout the game. It wasn't just, as you said, sprinkled in in the third or fourth quarter when the game was in hand. Um, we saw a heavy rotation, um, and that's you know taking into account that we had two starting defensive linemen already out, so we were already a little bit into the depth chart uh, by default there. Um, but we saw, uh, you know, DJ Harvey get a lot of run uh, this week, even more so than last week. Um, we saw a lot more Breon Murray um, on the field than we saw the last week, um, and, and we saw those safeties and uh, and and, and Sam backers uh, get yep. rotated a lot more too. So we, there was a heavy dose. We saw, you know, Lawson got in there. Uh, we saw a lot more Keller this week. Uh, it was a it was a really heavy rotation across the board, and you know you say you know, two hundred yards, you know, under two hundred, but it was very unspectacular. Uh, you know there were first down here, first down there, then they punt. You know first down, there, there wasn't a ton of three and outs. There wasn't a ton of like a- abject domination. Yeah, where we're you know pushing them into a, like several you know third and fifteen and longer situations. Yeah, exactly. you know, it it was very much a. Two yards, three yards, no yards, punt. You know, first down, three yards, three yards, no yards, punt. Like there, there were a lot of those type of drives where they they'd get a get a first down here, get a, get a few yards, and then they punt it back to us. Um, so, and I think some of that was by design, not necessarily just because we had some of the uh, the younger guys in or guys that are less experienced, but I think some of that had to do with how we were playing them and potentially how we were playing them in preparation for what we're about to see this week.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Uh, let, let's look at the defensive defensive room real quick. We allowed 70% completions, um, including DJ Hardy let a big one go downfield. But when you looked at the tape, how were we playing? Because it felt to me we were playing off a ton. We weren't pressing any. It, it was a lot more read-react this week and a lot less
1: blitzing. Okay. Uh, I mean, we, we talked about it last week. This is more of a West Coast um, type spread, very similar to what they're going to be doing with the air raid with, uh, with West Virginia, which we're going to preview here in a little bit. Um, I think that they were kind of getting them set up for that more of a read react type um, secondary approach. Uh, you know, there's not going to be a ton of getting in these guys faces and, and, and pressing them at the line of scrimmage. Um, when, we, when we look at West Virginia and, I think some of that was by design, getting guys out there, getting them comfortable with those looks, because it is a little bit of a different approach than I think what we would like to do against a, a more typical, um, you know, spread offense.
0: Got it. Now, but because of that, I think we saw it again. And, and, and every, every week we keep talking about it, Brian, dude, the tackling form looked better this week than it had all year. And it's been significantly improved all year. But it seemed like wrapping and getting guys down quick, there were no chances for them to go any further than wherever they caught the ball.
1: Yeah, and that's going to be key. With, with that read and react, you've got to be able to come up and make the tackle on the open field. Uh, and we did that consistently. We, we didn't give them a ton of extra yardage um, yeah. after they, they they made the catch. So that, that's going to be key uh, going forward, and hopefully we can keep that type of play up uh, heading into West Virginia this week.
0: Yeah. Yep. Now, let's talk about defensive line because, obviously, we were down a couple. And when that happens, there are some guys who stepped up. And the two biggest – are without Tyron Garbutt, C.J. McRae and Cole Nelson really took a big step up into a point where I think defensive line, again, much like the wide receiver room, is slowly, as we start playing more games, slowly starting to make itself deep versus these are still the only – two good guys to play. I mean, both guys had a sack. Both eyes were getting after the quarterback, and it's great to see that.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I'm going to revise some of what I said at the start of the season. I was concerned about this defensive line to start the year uh, yeah. from a depth perspective, um, especially a D-tackle with really only having three proven guys. You know, we talked last week about Panay coming in and getting, you know, so many uh, efficient yeah. snaps and kind of closing that distance between – um, his play last year versus what he's doing this year. You know, we've seen Cole Nelson now step up. CJ McCrae coming on the scene is going to be huge. Um you know, he had some good plays against uh against BC. We saw some more, you know, a lot more this week with him getting uh kind of a steady uh rotation in that uh, in that defensive line room. So, um if we can continue to to to, to make these strides on the defensive line, that's going to help us because as we were talking about, you know, when you can't bring the pressure like you want to against certain types of defense, certain types of offensive attacks, getting pressure with four is going to be key. Mario Kendricks had a good game. He was living in the backfield. So um, if we can get more of these guys where we can get pressure with four more consistently, that's only going to be better down the road. And we won't have to necessarily worry about whether, you know, we're playing
0: a certain type of offense or not. Absolutely. And then with those guys taking those steps, now that, you know, Kendricks and Panay have kind of entrenched behind Fuga and Pollard, you've got four there. And with McCray and Kendricks, along with Garbutt and Jalen Griffin, he's not been spectacular, but he's been very steady at the other end position. It's like, okay, we're now. We've sort of got a little more depth with where you feel comfortable rotating guys in and out to say, hey, this is your series. Go out there and do it. And, you know, it's kind of funny. There's something around the lunch pail. It's like J.C. Price. He's getting his yard dogs ready. And uh, hopefully he can get them feast on Thursday night. All right. One scary play as a Hokie fan on Saturday. And it was late in the game. We were punting. We had punted deep. Their guy attempts to make a return, and Jamari Connor is on special teams as a gunner. And he absolutely lays the wood to that punt returner. And we're like, yeah, heck of a hit. You know, I'm I am we are all jacked up. It feels like the old days. And you come back and you see the ref with the headset on, looking at the damn video, and you're like,
1: oh, No, shit. he did
0: that Oh Mother. Man.
1: Yeah, we, we were big time concerned, especially with, with what who we've got, you know, coming into Blacksburg on Thursday. You know, we, we don't want a guy like Connor out for a for a half because mm-hmm. of some bullshit call like that. Uh thankfully, targeting was reviewed. No targeting. Um I was definitely on the edge of my seat that whole time. I was yes. like, Oh, come on, let's we, we we can't we can't lose this guy. Um but I mean they they were talking about it on the live broadcast, um you know the, the tweaks to the tweaks to the rules. Um, yeah, and you know now it's, it's it's literally top portion of the helmet. It's this. It, it's it's no it's, longer just you know anything above the face mask. No. Nah. <laughs> so it, it, I think that definitely played in our in our favor there. Thankfully. So
0: as much as the, the rule still needs to be fixed, some because as much as they've overstepped the boundary for targeting. they started bringing it back and because if you saw the hit and you put it up there matt jones who was in the end zone saw it he it was shoulder and the reason it got to look like it was a targeting was because literally the way the guy moved once chamari popped, it, it yeah. literally didn't look like the head hit so you know again we held our breasts we got through it um but that they still need to make it more you can't punish a guy I think me and you. I think you said a couple times. It's almost like the first one's just a penalty, fifteen yards. The next one's an ejection. It's like it needs yeah. to be layered. You can't just continue. You're out a quarter for one. You you made twelve perfect hits today. Twelve perfect hits. Oh, this one's going to get you done for the next uh, half of the next game's Bullshit.
1: Well, my problem is is that they don't take into account the aiming point of the defender. True. True, because the aiming point was at the chest. And then you see the offensive player, the guy with the ball is reacting to the hit coming. And now all of a sudden you've got helmet to helmet contact. The aiming point needs to be taken into account. If you're launching and you're leading with your head high from the get go, absolutely call that a targeting. We need to that type of play out of the game. That's fine. But if an aiming point is at the breastplate of the guy with the ball,
0: All of a sudden,
1: you know, he's ducking down and and, and getting in defensive position to take the hit. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's a helmet to helmet or or something like that. Then, yeah, I mean, that, that has to be taken into account. That's the modification
0: that I'd like to see to that rule. Absolutely. All right. So let's put a bow on it. Wofford week's over. 27-7 Twenty seven seven win. And let's flip over, just take a look at some uh, some news and uh college football notes here. And the first one, Brian, for me and you and probably all the folks in the chat and watching live, a relief. The national championship will kick at seven thirty this year versus eight thirty. Still a Monday night, which sucks, but at least we're getting to bed by eleven. Been the stupidest thing. Let's kick at eight thirty eight. And like, are you kidding me? Like, why?
1: Our apologies to Grayson Wimbish out there the on the West Coast. <laughs> he can take, he can
0: take the, Grayson can take a half day and head. To, well, this year he actually he can go to it. Yeah, because it's the SoFi this year. So Grayson, exactly, buy a ticket, whoever's in it, and go heckle the fan bases there. So I, I love the move. It's it's for us that are fans that that watch legitimately from Labor Day weekend, Labor Day Thursday night until the national championship game, regardless of who's playing. You you just you just rewarded us instead of punishing us well, it's, <laughs> for it's us a, Tuesday after the. Night of it's January. a
1: reward yeah. for eighty percent of the college football watching populace. So. Eighty-five.
0: There's not that many out there. <laughs> Bra- I'm, I'm, inc- I'm small including
1: in I'm including the Mountain Time Zone in, in this <laughs> as well.
0: well. Wait a second, Mountain Time Zone. It's two hours. Really? It's five thirty. That's pushing it's, it, man. Oh, it's five thirty. That's Kick pushing. off work 30 minutes early. Go grab your dinner. That is the upside. You get to at least... Happy hour. It's 5 o'clock Happy.
1: somewhere. Get get exactly. your ass to the bar and watch the game.
0: All right. Uh, the official move, ACC is officially moving to Charlotte. Um, like, should have happened two decades ago, probably. Not in 2022, but finally done. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, Charlotte's one of the biggest growing hubs. Um, so you know. I mean, Charlotte's
1: been up and coming for a while. I mean, it is one of the premier East Coast cities now. It is.
0: One of the biggest banking institutions and everything. So making the move there made perfect sense. It's where they do media day. I mean, we're going to do media day down here, but we're located up here. And it's just like that makes zero sense. So you know, good good for the conference. Hopefully it, it shows that they're trying to take something seriously and keep the conference alive maybe um third piece of more than that,
1: Mo- yeah. moving alone is not going to do it
0: <laughs> i'm just saying all right third piece of news here this is pretty cool for us um especially since you know me and you've known the family pretty much you know, since we were kids Mackenzie lauder uh Hokies catcher last year on the uh, super regional team, has joined the VT softball team as a student coach. I, I know her, her dad, and her mom, and her whole family are super ecstatic for her to continue to stay up there and do something she loves. Man,
1: yeah, I mean that's gonna that's big for that family. I mean that's a that's a softball family. That's a coaching yes, they family. Are. It, <laughs> it, it just it, it goes hand in hand, man. It goes. It, hand it, hand does.
0: Hand. it does. It does. It does. Shout out coach Alan Lauder, who had a deal with us in high school <laughs> in his classes. Yes, he did. <laughs> hey, but hey, he was a good algebra teacher for me. I got like a B plus, and I was not good at math at that point in time in my life. <laughs> All right, Brian, before we get into Know the Enemy West Virginia, um, let's take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners.
1: As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode.
0: All right, Brian. Well, let's get to it. Know the enemy, West Virginia. And let's just start right out the gate here, Brian. And let's start with... The quarterback because he is the biggest name in this game, and that is JT Daniels, the 6'2, 226 quarterback from Mater D High School out in California in 2018. He was a five star QB, he was the number two QB in the country, a top 20 player. He transferred from USC where he originally committed to Georgia when he lost his job to Spencer uh, Spencer last year transferred again to West Virginia. Now this year, um, you know, a lot has been written and known about him, but just kind of doing a quick view on him from the first few games this year. I mean, is it still, is it still there?
1: I mean, he's still a solid quarterback. Uh, he gets the ball out really quick, especially on early throwing downs, um, accurate in the short intermediate game, uh, probably could, could see improvements in his deep ball, but, um, he can still make all the throws. Um, but his biggest thing is his poise in the pocket. He doesn't really panic when things don't look good or when the po- pocket collapses around him. Um, he does a good job of still getting the ball out. Um, but sometimes that's to his detriment. He hangs on in the pocket there when the pressure's coming and, and dangerously so. We had a couple balls uh, when we were looking at the the pit game where you know guys are hitting his arm as he's throwing the ball and a, you know he had four four times that his his hand got hit as he was throwing the ball. None resulted in a turnover or an interception or anything like that. And two of them were completions. So, you know, does the luck run out for him in this case? Uh, You know, if we can get some pressure on him, we'll see. But um, he does do a good job of hanging in there and delivering.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know he threw the pick six in the pit game, which was, I mean, he – I remember watching that game, he telegraphed that pass. And when Pit the Pit corner saw it, he jumped that route and housed it and essentially that was the game. But, you know, so far this year, I mean he's put up some pretty good statistical data, you know, completed sixty four percent of his passes. He's got over seven hundred and fifty yards already in three games, six um six touchdowns, only two interceptions. Never been a real threat to run at all. Um and he's not really that athletic of a guy. But, you know, overall, he is who he is. That 64%, he's at 63.8 for his entire career. He's got close to 6,000, you know, over 5,500, excuse me, passing yards. So he is a good player on this team. Yep. And and I'll tell you what, the, the guy he's throwing to primarily, his favorite target um, Bryce Ford Whedon, that wide receiver, 6'3", 224, also 2018 class. North Carolina guy. Played down at Holly Springs down in Fuquay Um, Probably a lot of folks listening here tonight, probably familiar with that area. Looked him up. No offer from Tech when he came out. Um, and, you know, so far this year, he has been kind of tearing it up. You know, almost 300 yards through three games, four touchdowns averaging just a little over 12 yards per catch. What's the tape tell you about this big body guy?
1: Yeah, he's probably the best all around wideout we've seen so far, far this year. Um, you know, Ali Jennings and Zay Flowers did some some really good stuff. Uh, but this is more of a prototypical NFL level uh, type receiver. Great blend of size and speed. And he's a great route runner. He's got good hands. Um High point skills are, are off the charts. Uh, he'll he's really good at high pointing the ball, um, but he will he will have a drop every now and again. So you know there's some opportunity there where you know key third down could potentially get you know drop one that gives us the ball back. Um, and I have seen him occasionally disappear for stretches in the game, um, but when he's out when he's feeling it when he's in the zone, um, he's as good as as anyone you can really watch on tape. He's he's that NFL type
0: talent. Nice. Anybody else in the wide receiver room catch your eye that we need to kind of keep an eye on this week?
1: Yeah, the guy opposite him, Caden Prather, is also someone I would I would watch. Uh both of these guys are big body NFL type receivers. Um you know, you talked about you know Ford Weed in 6'3" 224. Um you know Prather's 6'4" 211. Uh and and both of these guys are quick. They're, they, these are not just stick moving, um, you know, big, big body receivers. They have the quickness, um, to beat you deep. They have the quickness to move kind of underneath the coverage and get open and get some run after the catch as well.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned Prather, you know, 6'4, 210. So again, you say big body, definitely big body. Um, not quite the statistics that, uh, Ford Whedon has, you know, right at 200 yards, right at eleven per catch, but still you see those score to numbers. And like you said, if he's opposite, he's probably definitely going to be getting the looks this week. Now we're going to look at the running back room next. And, you know, as, as, as we were kind of deciding who to look at, you know, Tony Mathis just had a big game against Towson last week, but the guy that's really called our guy or caught our eye is CJ Donaldson, the halfback tight end, whatever you want to call him, 62 240. He's from Miami, Florida. He is a true freshman. He was a three star in the twenty twenty two class. And, you know, so far this year, he's averaging almost nine and a half yards per touch. What's the tape telling on him, Brian?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that's listed as a tight end, but he he primarily lines up in the backfield. He's um he's he's a true running back. Uh he reminds me of kind of a trimmer quicker Brandon Jacobs. Okay. The way he runs the ball. All right. Um yeah, kind of, kind of upright uh, running style. Uh, big guy can can barrel you over, um, but he also is he's quick enough at the second level where you know he can hit some big runs. He had a couple big runs against Pitt. I think one especially early on in that game that I think set up their first score there. And you know he had a couple red zone touchdowns a- against Kansas and then another one against Pitt. So he's really effective inside the red zone as well. Um, so that that's somebody that, you know, we need to keep an eye on because they don't run the vol, ball very much. So, But when they do, uh, it's usually usually pretty effective, and especially with uh, with C.J. Donaldson here.
0: Uh, yeah, and you mentioned the touchdown. He's got six total for the year already, and we're in game three. Um, did you notice anything like with pass pro? Is that a, another reason they, they are putting him back there? Is he a better pass protector for when it's those air raid shot times when they're going downfield?
1: Um, he, he is showing the propensity to be a good blocker early, but he's he's still, I think, learning the offense a little bit. He's definitely more of kind of a package guy. Um, okay. They used him pretty heavily against Towson, but they uh, used him more in, in packages against uh, Pitt in Kansas.
0: Okay. Got it. And, you know, it's kind of shows only two receptions for 10 yards this year as well, so not... Exactly, you know, lighting the world on fire as a tight end, but definitely doing a lot of damage. Um, Like I said, nine and a half yards of carry, um, just under 300 yards for the season. So definitely a guy we've got to keep an eye on. Now, Brian, let's go ahead and talk about the offensive line, um, where a known face to just about everyone in Hokie Nation, actually two very well-known guys, the former Hokie Doug Nestor, and a guy that everybody felt like was coming to Blacksburg as one of the top prospects on the offensive line, Why Milam, What has the offensive line looked like with sort of the switch over to the air raid? Uh,
1: they look pretty good. They, they're, they're still not an elite offensive line, but they they look pretty good. Uh, I would, you know, let's talk about Milam first. Um, he's probably their best overall lineman at this point. Um, he's playing left tackle for them. He's he's good in the run game and the pass game, um, but he's also a guy kind of similar to to Brock Hoffman. He's gonna he's gonna get some penalties. Um, he had a couple procedure penalties against uh, Pitt. Had a uh, personal foul call against Pitt. Um, had a couple other penalties um, since then. So he he gets penalized pretty heavily, um, more so than you would think for for an offensive lineman. Uh, of his caliber of play. So that's something we might be able to take advantage of as the game goes along. Um, they've moved Nestor out to right tackle. Now he's probably their best overall run blocker, but he's still like he was when he was a Hokie kind of, kind of mid and pass pro. Um, okay. But, but, but when they like to run, they like to run his direction. He does a good job in the run game. Uh, and then you got a uh, name. We haven't mentioned Zach Frazier, the, the center number 54, um, he's kind of the opposite of Nestor. He's really good in the pass pro, um, but he kind of gets pushed back a little bit in the run game.
0: All right. Have you seen that? I mean, I know it was a few plays during the pit game Um, that clearly the line broke down. I mean, are they like a roller coaster ride where sometimes they're doing great and then all of a sudden, three, four, five, six plays in a row, they just look like dog crap?
1: Yeah, I mean, they never were able to really assert themselves against Pitt uh, in the running game. They had, again, a couple big runs, and then they finished pretty well in the red zone, um, but they didn't do a whole lot kind of between the 20s um, short of you know those couple, couple big runs by Donaldson. So if we can keep them behind the sticks, that's probably going to be the most effective way
0: to, to negate what they can do there in the run game. All right. Well, let's kind of talk about this offense. We've, we've mentioned it four or five times. This is clearly an air raid offense, something that, you know, Hal Money back at Valdosta State in the 90s came up with. And then Mike Leach brought to the forefront at Texas Tech in the early 2000s. And one of his very first quarterbacks is their offensive coordinator, which is Graham Harrell. Um, kind of give us a breakdown of some of the stuff we normally see in air raid if they do anything a little bit different.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a fairly uh, prototypical air raid, but they do have a little bit more of a run emphasis than your traditional uh, air raid. Um, they like to employ tempo, especially when they connect on a good run or pass on, on some of those early downs. They'll get going, get back to the line of scrimmage. They're hurrying up. They're trying to get the next play out. They're trying to keep you on your toes, keep you from being able to sub uh, and, and then working those mismatches. Um, You know, contrary to last year, though, they're not a great running team, um, but they can be effective when they hit a home run. Um, You know, we saw Donaldson hit a couple long runs uh, against Pitt. Um, We've seen Mathis get one or two here or there, especially last week against Towson. So um, they they can still hit that, but there's no Letty Brown out there this year. So so don't expect to get completely gashed like we did last year uh, when we played West Virginia in Morgantown. Uh, the rush is kind of used as a drive starter. Uh, not not really used as a drive starter. You know, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, but it's more used as a change of pace from kind of that quick hitting pass game that's, you know, prevalent in the air raid.
0: Got it. Um how much do they push it downfield? Because you have so many air raids where the push downfield is almost like an old school an old school NFL philosophy where it's we're only going to take about two or three shots in a half. And then you've got to, and when I say that, it's because they're playing perimeter ball, right? You're looking at tunnels and bubbles and quick outs, getting the ball out quick. Do they have a propensity to go deep a lot or is it more of they're trying to pop you, pop you, pop you for a quarter and a half. And then all of a sudden, once you come up, then over the top, they go.
1: Yeah, they kind of suck you in with that and then they'll work some double moves off of that and they the receivers they're both again we talked about it they're both big out there but they've got they've got wiggle, they've got speed. So that helps them both in the short game and when they decide to go deep. So they have the ability to do both. Um, right. but they they usually stay in that short to intermediate zone most of the time, but they will take a shot
0: here and there. All right, got it. So so sort of a balanced not your typical original air raid where it was just a ton of perimeters then downfield where, again, we've seen it develop where there are some teams in air raid concepts that are just attacking downfield a ton. So very good to know that.
1: Yeah. They're not just trying to stretch you vertically and horizontally. They're, they they will stretch you vertically as well. So, um, yeah, that's one of to keep an eye on, but they're, they're not just taking shots downfield all game either.
0: Absolutely. Now, Brian, let's uh... – Let's uh, flip over to the defense here in just a second. But there is a comment I want you to throw up out there from our coach, Robbie Compton, talking about that. If you give the space, if you press they, Burt, goes back to what we saw, right, against Wofford. Why are we playing off? There, There it is right there. All right, but now let's flip over to the defense, and let's talk about the guy who probably should be playing in the NFL right now. I'm still trying to figure out why he came back for one more season at West Virginia, and that would be Dante Stills, the 6'4", 285. Call him a strong side defensive end. Call him a three technique. He is a damn good player. He was a four-star when he came out in 2018. He was a top the top player in West Virginia that year. He was a top 10 defensive lineman. He was a top 150 overall player. He was a stud when he came out, and he's lived up to it every single, basically his entire time at West Virginia.
1: Yeah, he's an absolute monster um, on that three-man front, playing that that defensive tackle. Um, has a relentless motor. Really quick off, converts speed to strength really effectively. Um, they use him a lot um in stunts they'll bring him all the way across the the uh the line of scrimmage um and he's got a spin move that f- for a guy his size is as elite as you can imagine um his other moves are not as effective um at the snap uh, but that motor is what really sets him apart he keeps working keeps working um so he's a guy that if, if you're not staying on your block holding your leverage he's gonna eventually get to the quarterback
0: yeah I mean, he caused havoc for them last year. And, and this year so far, I mean, he's already at eight tackles, three for loss, a couple of sacks. His career numbers, 120 tackles. And, again, this is as a plan to end on a three-man front. 120 tackles, 47 tackles for loss, and over 20 sacks. That's elite. Again, I think I think what he was projected like a second-round pick last year and he came back, which is just insane. Um, because usually you get a grade that high, you go, especially defensive lineman, you will be taken. All right, let's talk about somebody who has to clean up what he does, and that would be Lee. And I'm gonna go Pogba, K P O G B A. He is a six... it. <laughs> I try. Um, <laughs> he is a six foot one, two hundred and thirty pound linebacker. Winston-Salem, North Carolina at Parkland High School. Came out in 2019 as a three-star. He originally committed to Syracuse, where he was for a couple years. Then he went the JUCO route in 2021 and then transferred as a JUCO to West Virginia. Um, And, you know, so far this season, 18 total tackles and one fumble recovery. So, some solid numbers up front. What are you seeing on tape?
1: Yeah, he's got he's a great athlete and has good speed for the mic position. Uh, he's another kid with a great motor. Never gives up on a play. Um, they'll send him on blitzes. Um, he, he he's a guy that can kind of disrupt the backfield in the run game and in the pass game. Uh, but he does struggle to to sometimes shed blocks uh, in the run game. So he he does struggle from at that from time to time. So we can get up to the next level on him.
0: Uh, we can neutralize him a little bit. All right, so there's some key some of those plays we like you've been mentioning before, like he seemed to be stagnant instead of going up to the next level. Um, let's hope we can get in his face. All right, next guy we want to talk about here is Marcus Floyd. Marcus Floyd is a defensive back. He is six foot, 194 pounds. Louisville, Kentucky is where he is from. Completely unrated out of high school on any service when he came out in 2018. He started by going to an in-state Murray State, so an FCS program all Hokies should be very familiar with, and then decided to transfer to West Virginia in December of 2021. Um, where's he lining up, Brian? What's he doing for the Mountaineers? Yeah, so he's
1: a former corner. Most of the, the snaps he was playing uh, at his former stop, he was playing corner, but uh, now he's playing what's called the, the cat safety in this three, three stack defense, um, similar to a Rover type of position. Um, he's above average in cover and coverage, especially when he can read and react versus being in man. Um, and he's a good tackler. I use him occasionally as a blitzer. Um, he does uh, It's kind of similar to, to league uh, Pogba. He can disappear when you put a body on him. So uh, if he gets okay. blocked, he doesn't do a good job of shedding and getting and making the play. Um, he's at his best when he can just, fly up into the uh, the spill area and make a play uh, in the run game. And like I said, he's, he's above average in that, that zone coverage, that read and react coverage.
0: Did you see any sort of plays where he was left on a man, like if they went to some sort of cover zero or cover one where he was forced to cover a slot? He did okay, but he, he doesn't have elite-level speed to, to keep
1: up with guys. Um, and his technique is not uh, – that great I mean it's it's just average
0: so it's one of those things where we potentially look for a matchup like a Dwayne Lofton or Jaden Blue in that slot if we get the right looks and maybe not going over the top but trying some of that quick twitch type stuff where you feel like there's his skill set is not that
1: I saw a few times and he got matched up in in man where, where crossers were kind of plays that we could take advantage of him okay all right
0: make a note of that right there. All right. How about we take a look at one more defensive player. And then before we get into the defensive breakdown and that is the defensive lineman, Taj Alston, six foot four, 255 pounds, another North Carolina kid um, from Lumberton, North Carolina down there near Fayetteville. He attended Copia Lincoln community college out in Nebraska. And then he committed to West Virginia as a three-star in 2019 Um, So far this season, as an end, he's got a tackle for loss, a couple forced fumbles, which is very interesting to see. Um, What's the tape showing on him, and, you know, how does he do opposite of steals?
1: Uh, He does pretty good opposite of steals, especially when the quarterback's dropping back. Um, He is more of a pure pass rusher. Um, He's more of the true defensive end in this type of uh, three-man front, Um, whereas – You know, Stills is more of the balanced player. Uh, But he has really good speed off the edge. Uh, But he does struggle to make plays in the run game when you run directly at him. When you put a big body on him, he can be blocked. So um, I imagine we run away from Stills a little bit, run at uh, Taj Alston, and and try to neutralize his pass rush as much as we can by chipping.
0: Yeah, and we definitely need to do that because last year against the Hokies had four total tackles, including a sack and a half. Um, in the game last year down in Morgantown. So, obviously, he's familiar with the Hokies. Um, Obviously, he's familiar with some of these offensive linemen we're going to be playing. Now, Brian, let's flip over. Let's talk about the defense itself. You've mentioned a couple times already this. They have not changed it yet. They're still in the 3-3 stack. And what you've seen, especially against Pitt and Kansas this year, and why those teams were able to come out and get on top of the West Virginia Mountaineers.
1: Yeah, so they're very average against the rush attack, and that's the big thing. Pitt was able to establish the line of scrimmage pretty early in that game, and it kept going, uh, you know, throughout the game where they were able to run pretty consistently against um, that front, especially with Hammond. Um, he Hammond had a lot of success uh, against that front. Um, they're an att- attacking defense, as most 3-3s three are. Um, they do a good job of blitzing, um, designing, you know, confusing offensive lines with how they bring pressure. And where they're bringing it from, and they rely on that pressure um, as they are at best a work in progress on the back end. Um, you know, when you look at that that secondary, you know, you got five key guys there, and only one of them was recruited by West Virginia out of high school. Everyone else is a transfer, and most of them are transferring from FCS and, and G five programs. So it's it's really an, an interesting. Um, interesting defense to face because, you know, there's a lot of new faces on the back end, pretty much all new faces on the back end compared to what we saw last year. Okay. And then up front, you know, it's kind of the, 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 same old song and dance with stills, um, you know, coming through there in Austin. So, uh, if, if we can hold up in the offensive line category, which is probably where we're struggling with the most overall on that offense right now. Yeah. If we, if we can hold up, you know, there's some opportunities there. Um, But, you know, occasionally you'll see them adjust to a four man line. Uh, They did that in the second half against Pitt when Pitt was, you know, big time gashing them in the running game. Uh, The bandit position uh, played by Jarrett uh, Bartlett, he ends up lining it up opposite Alston. Uh, with with uh, stills, went down into a, a you know more four three, you know three technique.
0: Are are you glad that we got that on tape though? Are you glad that they sort of had to show that hand early against West Virginia about if they couldn't when they when the three man front is getting gassed, they sh- they've got to show the four man and where part was got to come down. Are you glad that's on tape for our coaching staff?
1: Yeah, and we saw it some last year, so it's not something that we haven't seen before, but okay, um, it's good to see what it looks like in this current um, version of the defense with some of those new faces on the back end.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so there is kind of a overview of both the Mountaineers' offense and defense and some of the key players that we'll be looking at to not have good games on uh, Thursday night. Now let's go to the Hokie Keys for this game. And, Brian, as I was looking at the data and diving and looking at one thing, then the other, something that caught my eye is third down conversions and on both sides of the ball. Because West Virginia is one of the better in the country. They are completing 54% of their third downs, which is a unbelievable number. I'd love to get 44%. But as I was digging, and as probably all of us heard Saturday, Virginia Tech doesn't give up third downs. And it's not one of those we're in the top 20, the top 15. We're number three in the country. And the Hokies are allowing only 17% of third down conversions defensively. So in one of those games where it's the high-powered offense against the you know, high-powered defense, that's got to – it's got to break one way or the other. And is there anything you foresee that might assist the Hokies in keeping that, you know, 17% as the norm for uh, Thursday night? I mean, I think one
1: thing that's helping us is that we got to, you know, practice a little bit of what we're going to get against West Virginia against Wofford. Um, I think we've kind of seen – what we can do with that style of offense. And, and now we've had a, a correction period, right? Um, yeah. They, they went out there, they they corrected some of those mistakes. We got some young guys to get some reps against that um, that style of defense. So that, that I think that's key. But the other key is going to be keeping everything in front of you and tackling.
0: Because if you yeah. don't
1: tackle, then that third down percentage is going to go up this week.
0: Yep. We got we
1: got to be in the right position and then when we come up, we got to make the tackle and make sure that they're not getting more than a yard or two after the catch in this in this offense.
0: Yep, it's that big piece, another key of ours, it's it's the tackling in space. And so much what the air concept is where they catch the ball is where they've got to fall. If you can do that consistently, you it will frustrate an air eight offense consistently. Cause instead of getting the five or eight, they're getting the two to four and it's putting them in unfavorable down in distances as you get deeper into the, uh, into the plays.
1: And then that means we can get into a little bit more of what we like to do with, with dialing
0: up pressure on, on those third and long situations, Penny ears back and go. All right. So I said it was both sides of the balls and you know, as bad as we are at converting, we are 90th right now in the country and that's at 36%. So basically one out of every three third downs we convert, they are one of the worst defensively. They're 112th out of 131 teams and they roughly only stop teams 46% of the time. I, I am hoping that, our number can come up to their mean, because if you're telling me we convert close to 50% of the time on Thursday night, I will feel really good about our chances at winning this game, because the less time that offense is on the field, it's the best thing for us.
1: Yeah, the, the big key is going to be you know getting them off the field on third down and us staying on the field on third down. Um, lengthening this game, or sorry, shortening this game, uh, is going to be key for the Hokies. I think possessing the ball and shortening the game is going to be key for the Hokies in terms of pulling out a W. Because if they're going fast and they're running a bunch of plays and they're going up and down the field, they're going to get some points off those. And eventually, those points are going to, you know, not not work in our favor. Because I don't I don't see us as a quick straight offense. We're not going to be able to go out there and stack points and match them score for score if it becomes that type of game.
0: Absolutely, freaking uh, Brian. And that's kind of where it's um, – the next kind of um, thing that we've been talking about, about our key, is the Hokies run game against the West Virginia run defense. The West Virginia is – and thanks for putting that up. Thanks, Lowcountry Living, for that. I had heard that. I do think King's going regardless. I think it's one of these is he's at 85% on Thursday he's going because him at 85% is probably still better than any running back we've got. And for this running game, you know, can we open it up? They, they're they giving up roughly about 120 a game. It's roughly about middle of the pack. It's not elite. It's not great, but it's not god-awful. But the whole thing is what kind of Brian's been mentioning about getting it going if we're converting third downs. It's a whole new back in, And slowly but surely, if we're gashing, gashing, what has to happen with that back end, Brian, if we're gashing them for four to seven yards every play?
1: That means they're going to have to play up in the box a little bit more to help stop the run, help support the run, and eventually that's going to hopefully open up some stuff on the back end. Uh, we just have to be able to, in a position to take advantage of that. Got to
0: take advantage of it. But you've already mentioned it is a flawed back end. And it, and it kind of shows they do give up a lot more um, passing yards than rushing yards. So, again, getting the run game going and getting them to have to get into situations where they're uncomfortable on the back end is so key. Yeah, now, their, their
1: success on the back end is predicated on getting
0: pressure on the quarterback. They are not a great back end team. So I, I think that's one of those things where we talked about Gallo. If, if we start getting Gallo going and him or Drake going in the flats early and we're picking up significant – that immediately is going to make the safeties, both the probably the bandit and probably the uh, the rover guy to come up. And if that's coming up more and more, if they're trying cat to come up to safety, make the, the cat, the cat safety, God, just call <laughs> it a rover for God's sakes. But if they're coming up more and more, then, you know, guess what? There's going to be lanes to throw down to those crossers we've been talking about, some of our better plays this year. All right, last piece, and this, this is just mind-blowing to me. So, West Virginia has given up 100 points this year in three games. So, that means they're giving up over 30 points a game. The insane part is, Brian, they've given up 63 in red zone trips. They've been in the red zone 10 times. They've been scored on nine times all via touchdown. I don't, I don't think that's good.
1: Times nine of ten. I don't think that's great.
0: I mean, any,
1: any of my Ferris Bueller fans know the reference. Nine, um,
0: <laughs> but seriously, you know, right now we're we've been down there eight. We are converting seventy five percent of the time, which you know you want more than that. But to say that, you know, we what was the thing we just talked about in the Wofford game? We didn't finish drives. This is a team that just allows teams to finish drives, it seems, at will if you get inside the 20-yard line. Yeah,
1: we're, it's one of those, we, when we looked at earlier uh, with the uh, the third down, it's kind of unstoppable force against a movable object. Now you've got the reverse of that. Exactly. <laughs> you've got a team that's somewhat struggling to finish drives against a team that does nothing but let teams finish drives. So you got you,
0: you got the you've got a team that does that, that decides to trip up and fall down, and the team that does Olay and gets out of the way, you, you can go score that touchdown. So they're kind of the keys to what we're seeing um, with some of the data, some of the players. And and Brian, we we have come, you know, every week we've got to do this, and we made predictions at the beginning of the season, and. Now it's time for this game prediction. And since you led last week, I do get the honor this week, sir. And this one was tough. Me and Brian, we, 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 we sat about 30 minutes this afternoon, had a phone call, just chatting a little bit of everything about what we're going to go over tonight. And all the data points say it's, it's going to be a good game because of the, the, the contrarians of what's going on, on each side of the team. It's going to be a good game, but it seems like everything leans West Virginia. They've got a okay defense versus where – and they've got a really great offense, where we've got a great defense statistical-wise. And our offense, it's not as bad as last year, y'all. Last year we were 103. Right now we're ranked 93rd. So we've actually improved offensively this year, whether we know it or not. But I kept going back to thinking it's Thursday night. It's Lane. It's a sellout. Justin Mutz is going to be in no key colored coveralls to get the chant going. And I think yeah. it's going to be one or two big plays that completely swing this game. And for all those out there, if you can take off Friday, if you're going to the game, you better take off Friday because you're not going to be in any condition to work. If you are working on Friday, my condition is – You need to call somebody tomorrow and say you're not working because I think this is going to be a thriller to the end. In my prediction, I'm going to stick with what I had at the beginning of the season. I think the Hokies pull this one out. I think it's a war, and I think the Hokies take it by a point, 31-30. I like your optimism.
1: And we actually have West Virginia scoring the exact same amount of points. The problem is I've got the Hokies only scoring 24 of them. Um, I've got this as a solid game front to back. Um, we're, we're in it the whole way. We're slowing them down just enough. We give up three touchdowns. We give up three field goals. We, we still keep a, a, a good defensive performance overall, but we don't quite do enough, and the offense doesn't quite do enough to get that
0: W. Brian's basically saying the offense is not going to finish a few times.
1: Yeah, I I, I still I, I'm not fully trusting this offensive line yet, um, and I think the communication and the way that West Virginia likes to bl- to bring the the blitz and the pressure from a lot of different areas, if that communication has not taken a step since Wofford, then that's going to be problematic, and when you're trying to close the game out, and you're trying to come back, you know, down one score, trying to finish out, you're going to be throwing the ball. There's going to be that pressure.
0: And I'm just questioning whether we can hold up. All right, so there you go. I got 3130 VT Brian's trying to be the realist of our group, saying 3024 West. <laughs> hey, I mean it's, it's it's we're we pick against each other sometimes. It's what happens. All right, Brian. So let's flip it. Let's look at our big screeners this week. What's going to be on your big screen at some point in time during the day, Saturday? Uh, I've got
1: Florida at Tennessee. That's going to be my big screener. Um, Tennessee. Oh Hendon.
0: Oh Hendon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> man, if we look at the you know the, the guys that are showing out, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we, we got one starter we're playing against this week that used to be on the Hokies. We've got another down in Louisville um, starting on that offensive line. We got Hendon tearing it up in Tennessee. That's he's a Heisman. Uh, front runner at this point. Tay's so,
0: playing good over Kentucky. Yeah.
1: It's it's a tough look, man. It's a tough look. Um, but when uh, when I look at that one, you know, Tennessee is actually a 10-point favorite here. Uh, and that's a little too rich for my blood. Okay. Um, so I'm going to take Florida in the 10. Um, but I, I think Tennessee wins the game outright. But okay. Uh, I, I've got Florida uh, in the in the ten points here.
0: Th- that is a lot to play, especially. I mean, Tennessee's had very little success with Florida over the last half decade, heck, over the past full decade. So that is a lot to lay. And again, they got up for Utah, and you know, I, I, I think I think that's a fine bet. Now, for me, I'm going to stay in the ACC. It is probably the game that is either going to end DJ Ugalele's career or springboard him to actually doing big things as Clemson wake for us. It is going to be a high noon kick. So I'm going to miss probably about half of this game because of baseball. I'll come in, check the second half, probably be following on the phone while I'm there. Um I do think Clemson wins. I think Clemson's a seven and a half point favorite. I think Clemson wins outright. I'm not touching that spread. That <laughs> offense is that offense is too anemic and the defense is too good. I am going to say the under a 55 and a half. I think it's going to be something like a 24-21 game, maybe 28-24. Clemson pulls it out, not enough to cover. Um, But I think that's going to be an entertaining game. There's actually a lot of entertaining games. You know, I chose this one, and it was one more. I think Saturday night in Corvallis, Oregon State, USC, you said it to me when we talked earlier. This is a game we're going to know if Lincoln-Riley is for real at USC in year one. Because that's a tough-ass place to play, and Oregon State has been playing very good recently.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's his first big test. Um, I think we'll see if this is a team that's ready to actually be competitive and, and challenge for a potential college football playoff spot, or if they're just a team that, has some talent, but it's still a year or two away from from making that step. Um, when you look at that team, though, that they've got they've got the players, yeah. Um, and you know, the question is, has Lincoln Riley instilled that winning culture enough in in such a short period of time, where things start to click when it gets tough a little bit? And so we, I think that, that there's going to be times where that game it might be a, it might be tough for a little bit. We'll see how they yep. react.
0: Yep, yeah, because, because Oregon State scored over 30 every game this year. Um, they did have a war with Fresno State in which, you know, everybody's going to say, well, if we look at the common opponent, Fresno State, you know, USC won by 21. I-, I listened to a podcast. Um, it's a San Francisco Niners podcast. And one of the guys went to Fresno, so he paid super attention to them. And, like, their best player went down early, like, early first half. So we didn't really get a reflection of Fresno State versus USC. So I'll probably be up till one o'clock in the morning Saturday. I'm just gonna go ahead and book it to nine thirty kick, have a couple of late cocktails and some uh whatever's left over in the fridge. Brian, yeah, We gotta
1: got remember it to tell everybody though that the transitive property does not exist in college football. So you can look at common opponent all you want to, but that doesn't mean shit. It don't
0: mean <laughs> shit. It don't mean shit. And it's wild. And in, in, I think the last few weekends with some of these games and some of the finishes have just been perfect. It's why it, – we we love Sundays, too. Don't get us wrong. We love Sundays. We have our teams. Brian is currently wanting to go, well, probably kill someone he wanted to kill 15 years ago. But, I mean, I'm not going to put it <laughs> there. Um, not Run. <clears throat> but Accurate. But- Accurate, but, but Saturdays is where we live. It's, it's, I think when you're, when you grow up in the South, it's just, it, it's just a little different on Saturdays. And, you know, Brian, you went to a successful D3 school where even though with 1200 people on campus, Saturdays were wild on Hampton city's campus during a football game. So yeah. it, it hits a little different for us. All right. All right. Be quiet, Robbie. That that was one time after one too many drinks. Brian, anything? anything yeah, you see what he put in there? Um,
1: no comment. I've never let
0: that <laughs> no Um Anything breaking over the last little while? We've been on right at 90 minutes, brother. I think
1: we're good, bud.
0: All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm
1: Brian Siegler.
0: Visit our website at BoundaryCornerVT.com to listen to all of our episodes. While you are there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on our YouTube account. Thank you, all you guys out there listening on YouTube tonight. We uh, really appreciate your interactions here. Also, podcast sources, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Podcasts. We are still there. Subscribe to your favorite. Let it be there for you in the morning to listen again. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out. On October 2nd, he is going to be at the Food Hub's pop-up brunch market at Golden Cactus Brewery on two fourteen Fifth Street Southwest in Roanoke. So check him out there. Go have some beer, have some food. We thank you always for listening. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, We thank you for listening as always. Hate US Virginia. Let's go. Hokies.